From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2019, the last hours of 2019. We're joined by Ryan Ballingy because this is Tuesday and this is the Century Tournament of Champions Week to preview the 2020 portion of the 2019-2020 Wraparound PGA Tour season and anything else in professional golf. Ryan Ballingy from the Golf News Net. Hello, Ryan. Jeremy, how are you? Happy New Year. I am well. Happy New Year to you, too. So tonight, you are going to attend a New Year's Eve wedding. And I always find these affairs fascinating because it's a different way of spending the that those last moments of a year. So is this one of those weddings where the wedding will include midnight, or will the wedding have ended before midnight? The reception is supposed to carry through to the New Year. Uh, we'll see how that all works out, but the, the wedding itself is supposed to be in on December 31st. So uh, I guess we'll just see how the, the party goes, how long it lasts, but I, I think the intention is to carry it to about 1 in the morning. Wow. So here's what I find fascinating about New Year's Eve weddings. It's a very different kind of New Year's Eve, and yet for a lot of people it's exactly the same because they spend an exorbitant amount of money to go to various New Year's Eve things. A, have you ever attended a New Year's Eve wedding, and B... If you have, how does it compare to regular New Year's Eves in your mind? I haven't done a New Year's Eve wedding before, so this will be a, a new concept for me. I don't usually do much to celebrate the New Year. Uh, I've gone to one New Year's Eve party ever, and that was in Cleveland Park in D.C., and it was because it was all you could drink. Mm. Uh, it wasn't even that good. So since we've had children, I mean, most of our New Year's are having a fake New Year celebration before our kids can go to bed and then we eat basically like buffalo chicken dip and drink champagne uh, in front of the tv and this year will be nice because we don't have to watch ryan seacrest or any of those annoying shows (laughs) Uh, we can just be with people that we like for the most part and do all the stuff we would normally do just in a fancier dress there there you go. That's definitely uh, one of the upsides is that if you don't like New Year's Eve programming, you're about to get uh, the best kind of counter-programming, some would say, that you could possibly have. All right, so as we switch the calendar here, one thing that I find fascinating, and I think we talked about this when I had you on before the President's Cup, is this Olympic golf qualification. And Tiger chose not to play in the Century Tournament of Champions. He'll probably... Um, start his year at Torrey, but this is a vital start for some people. And for my money, if you're someone like Cameron Champ, who won in the fall, you can basically punch your ticket to Eastlake if you win this week. Um, there's a lot of different motivations here. There's a lot of people on different agendas. And I find people like Cameron Champ or Brendan Todd or, you know, uh, some of these guys, Joaquin Neiman, who won in the fall and can try to carry over momentum, but especially in the case of Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas, both President's Cup guys, who found some form in Australia, can they transfer over? So often we talk about the start of the wraparound season being the moment for these Corn Ferry grads to continue their momentum. This could be an opportunity for some President's Cup guys, considering how late that season went, sorry, how late that event was to carry some momentum into the Century Tournament of Champions. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the winners in recent memory of this tournament, they're, they're high-class guys. I mean, the, the odds are Joaquin Neiman and Brendan Todd and 
and Sebastian Munoz and, and those kinds of guys are not going to win. Uh, we're looking, I mean, I think personally, and we'll probably get into this later, but I think if you bet John Rahm, uh, Xander Shawfleet, and Justin Thomas, you probably would cash, you know, one of those three to win the tournament. And right. then you can throw in Dustin Johnson as a, a good track record in this event as well. But I think for those guys, like you mentioned, who are first-time winners or, you know, Brendan Todd's case, won twice but won an opposite field event. You know, you can basically pull a patent desire from a couple of years ago or Matt Kuchar from last year. If you win twice by the time you get basically to Phoenix, you, the rest of the year is gravy. You're in the majors, uh, especially, you know, now they have the two-win exemption back for the, the U.S. Open, so you can take advantage of that uh, if you're a multi-time winner. And, you know, you're going to get into the top 30 probably, so you're in all the majors for next year, which is, you know, practically speaking, great. So I think there's a tremendous amount on the line for the guys who won in the fall or who won with what you would consider a lesser event. But I still think you're going to come out in the end with you know one of those three or four class guys winning. Um, this is a brand new plantation course at, at, at Kapalua. Um, it's going to look the same. They've made some minor changes, core and Crenshaw, but new turf. Supposed to play firm and fast. We know that any first-time golf course always plays firmer than it will three, four years from now. Uh, just because of how long it takes the thatch of the grass to kind of put itself in there. To me, this is a fascinating week because we're going to see, I think, and maybe I'm I'm thinking too hyperbole driven on this, kind of the next generation of golf course architecture in the sense of here's a golf course that was built to play firm and fast. Various conditions changed it. It's an area of Hawaii that's that's in the, in the midst of climate change. Can you financially get a golf course back to the way that you want it, yet make it playable for the members, yet make it tough and challenging for the professionals or for resort guests, uh, sorry, playable for resort guests? There's a lot of different constituencies here, and I find this week fascinating to see how this new course plays both for the pros and then how it'll play for your basic resort guests. I think Corey and Crenshaw probably tried to rein it in a little bit in terms of the scoring against par. It's still the par 73. So you're given four extra strokes over the course of a week if you, if you want to count it against the par 72. And even if you do that, I still think these guys are going to get in the 20s. I mean, they're gonna, this isn't that difficult of a golf course for them. I think Corey and Crenshaw made more changes than they're going to get credit for, and some of them are going to go kind of unnoticed. But if you look at kind of the sprawling list of things they did on every hole, they, they did probably four or five things on pretty much every hole, whether that was add a tee box behind, add a tee box up, change sizes of greens, move some bunkers around. I mean, they did a lot of things to this golf course to make it a little bit more strategic in, in both cases for the, for the recreational uh, you know, guests of the resort but also for a professional who can light this place up if they hit the ball pretty well. And I think it still will play pretty firm and fast. We'll see plenty of 400-yard drives. We'll see plenty of that kind of stuff. But I think that it would be that much more of a challenge for the professionals. It might just be a little bit better of a golf course for a resort guest. Talking to Ryan Boundy here on Teeing It Up, uh, previewing both the Century Tournament champions and the 2020 portion of the PGA Tour season. There's a couple guys, I just look at the slate of, of people, obviously, um, when you look at um, 
basically when you look at the PGA Tour right now, to me there's a really interesting dichotomy happening. There's Tiger, separate him out. Then there's Phil, Rory, Dustin, Ricky, this this kind of younger down class that is older, 30s, somewhere around 30, maybe up into the 40s, that can still win if it's the right golf course, the Jim Furyk's of the world. And then there's just the young brigade, and whether it's the Wolves, the Morikawas, the uh, Victor Havon, who's obviously not in this field, um, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, this next wave, obviously Cantlay's older, but he, but he went through a lot of stuff, so he's basically younger on the scene, even though he's technically older. Um, who do you think, everybody talked about, when you look towards last year, Wolf, Morikawa, Hovland. But I want to throw Cantlay and Shoffley into that after their President's Cup performance, which was ginormous. Um, who out of those five guys would you buy stock in if you could right now? I like Xander Shoffley the most because he seems to thrive at the biggest tournaments. He's a great major player. I mean, he's got top eight finishes in pretty much every major championship, and he does it on the rag in the U.S. Open. I think he's getting better at the others. So I think he'll strike sooner than any of the other four guys. I love Hovland's consistency. He plays four great rounds pretty much every tournament, even if he throws in kind of a stinker. He does come back on Sundays a lot very, very well. And he just seems to have a way of getting into the 60s. And that'll go a long way and make you a lot of money and score you a lot of world-ranking points and make you a tremendously wealthy individual. And eventually, when he has a week where he plays well all four rounds or three you know three of the four he's gonna win a tournament and he's gonna put himself in that position more often than the others i think so i like i would say him second i love can't like i mean I, I as a player i think he he's coming into his own uh, and i think part as you mentioned you know missing some of that time away with the back problem and uh, his friend passing and trying to recover from all of that but at the same time i also think he's a tremendous head case uh he, he gets into these situations where he could be one-upped and he kind of backs down, uh, and he, he kind of—I think we saw at the BMW Championship what what he is, where he can win on the biggest stages, but when he's challenged, uh, he kind of cowers a little bit. So he's got to find another another level in his mental game, I think, to get to where he needs to be to to fulfill his potential from what seven, eight, nine years ago now. And if you look at Wolf, I, I think he—he's kind of like Dustin Johnson. I mean, he. All, all he has to do is putt well, or Cameron Champ for that matter. Keep it in play and putt well. He's going to win at least one tournament a year. It's just going to happen. And I think that's a great asset for him. Uh, will that translate to major championships and being a consistent week-to-week player? I'm, I'm not convinced of that. I am pretty convinced that Colin Morikawa is going to kind of be a lot like Victor Hovland, where he's just going to put up a lot of good finishes. He's going to score really well, and in some weeks he's going to struggle to make the putts, but he's going to put a lot of balls close to the hole. And he's going to give himself a lot of opportunities, and that's going to allow him to to play tremendously well. So if I had to rank them, I think you look at Shoffley, Hovland, Cantlay, and then maybe Wolf and Morikawa together. But, I mean, that fourth and fifth on that list is still pretty great. I love Patrick Cantlay's consistency, and I see that in Victor Hovland. I think that Matthew Wolf's going to have to figure out if he wants this dramatic swing in this George Genkis method forever. Um, it's a swing that you've got to own and you've got to be able to correct it when it goes off. 
Hovland and Cantlay, to me, just look like they will bore you to deaths with 68s. And how often do we talk about, Ryan, that what gets you on the PGA Tour and what keeps you on the PGA Tour is not wins. It's not, you know, finding those weeks where you're hot. It's the T-37s. And it's figuring out how to eke out a bad week into a okay week. And you bore people to death with a whole bunch of top 40s. And it gets you six, seven, eight FedEx Cup points, more if it's a big time event. And you just move along, move along, move along, keep improving. Then you have that one week and suddenly you're adding 500 points for a win to your 70 or 80 points from all these T, you know, 25s to 45s. And, you know, you're looking pretty in the playoffs. That to me, I see that in Cantlay and Victor Hovland. That's why I'm buying stock. I'm splitting it between those two guys. I think at the end, Cantley has to figure out, I, I just, having spent the, having the most awkward interview of my life with Patrick Cantley, <laughs> I'm firmly convinced he is a savant, but that he is such a savant that I'm not sure he can evolve. And I think that's going to limit what he can do. Uh, he can be a, a, he can be a guy who gets tapped, you know, 10 top 10s in a season and maybe win once, which is tremendous. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but I don't see him as a guy that wins major championships. I see him as a guy that gets frustratingly close a lot. Uh, I mean, he's done it, he did it twice last year. Uh, got frustratingly close. And the, the second he got the lead at the Masters, he yacked it up. Yeah. Uh, he did put some pressure on at the PGA Championship. So, I mean, he's, he showed some... The moxie to be able to do this. And he played a, uh, I just a like, great yeah, back nine at. It. No, uh, 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 sorry to uh, excuse me. Sorry to interrupt, Ryan. But he played a great back nine at the um, Memorial, which basically won him that event. So yeah. he's shown it, and yet he's been he's 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 been inconsistent at the same time in that Masters thing. He had a moment, and he just bad swinging it at the wrong time. And you've got to correct those issues, obviously, if you're going to win majors. Let's go off script for a second. In in sixty seconds or less, what was so awkward about that interview with him? He didn't really want to be there that day. It was at the Players Championship a couple of years ago when the tour arranged it, and he just definitely he showed up late. Uh, he didn't want to do it. You know, we tried to talk. He basically gave me one or two word answers all the time, then literally walked out ten to twelve minutes in. Um, okay, then. Like, like nice to meet you. Goodbye. And <laughs> I, I have it saved. Uh, I'll never air it, but. Um, I, I walked away thinking that uh, it, probably, it was probably more a per, an inter, you know, not interpersonal between him and I, but just that he kind of lacks some personal skills, maybe. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's um, interesting. And I, I think that that indicates that you're not a well-rounded individual, and I, I think well rounded people tend to be more consistent and better over a longer haul. I, I, I just think that's how it works. Um, if you're super focused, you know, like a tiger, which also he lacked social skills for a really long time. Um, you know, you're either a tremendous talent and you're, you know, an all time world beater or you're just acting like it kind of like Patrick Reed. Well, that perfectly dovetails in, into the next two guys I want to talk about, which is Reed and Kepka. Let's start with Brooks Koepka. Let's assume he's healthy after this knee issue. 
to me, the quote about only having to beat 30 of the 35 guys at, at majors, and if you haven't seen that quote, look it up, is genius. I think that a lot of what he and, and his girlfriend Jenna do is calculated, but I, but, I, but I believe at the heart of it, he's built more like Tiger than anybody else. He's built like an athlete who just wants to compete and win. He doesn't care where it is, what it's for, or what's happening. And some of his answers are interesting, and some of his answers are crafty, but at the end of the day, I think that his method frees him up. Assuming he gets back his health, do you expect regular Brooks Koepka this year? Yeah, I guess it all depends on his knee, right? Um, we'll see where that is. But he's gotten better every time he's played the Masters. He's improved his start literally every time, and he only has one place left to go now, which is win. Um, the PGA Championship seems his thing. It seems his, it's the perfect tournament for him where he plays a regular PGA Tour event, but it's hard. And the, the mental aspect of it plays into his hands. Obviously, he is a U.S. Open player. I can't wait to see him at winged foot. I think it'll be really interesting to watch him try to pick apart a golf course that could pick him apart. Yep, he's got to drive yeah. it on a string. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I. Uh, um, oh, I said wait. He he has to drive out, drive it on a string there because you don't want to combat that rough. And it will be interesting to see what the USGA chooses to do with the setup because they kind of let it off a little bit for Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open. Will they let it off a little bit for Wingfoot, or will they ratchet it up to play up to its its legend? I'll be very curious what they do with that. But we'll yeah, away from here, I so. think they were slightly stymied by Pebble in the sense of that golf course gets so much traffic. How far can you take it? Whereas with something like Shinnecock, you can take it far. And I think they were also having you know a a back the other way rehab performance after the whole Shinnecock disaster. But yeah, Wingfoot can play one of two ways. It can be gettable, slight, slightly gettable if they ease off a little bit, or it can be brutally tough and it's a redux of 06. So we'll see what happens there. The other person that I'm fascinated by for 2020, Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up, is Patrick Reed because he had the shield of the team at the President's Cup. But... As we talked about, how you view that moment, whether it's cheating or not cheating, whatever the case may be, his answers continue to be evasive. And yes, he took Will Gray's answer literally in Australia, which I thought was a, a smart move in that moment in that press conference by him to say, look, my only regret about this week is that I would have played better. Okay, that makes sense. But you're going to get more 14 clubs and a shovel and worse comments as we go along, unless he, he faces all these issues head on in that 2015 video, combined with the 2019 video from Hero, combined with his past, it's not what the USGA or the PGA Tour officials are, are, are trying to, to cipher, but you have an issue here of somebody who does not want to take ownership for his own fault and is hurting his own image by not doing so. He could do a lot of good by basically saying, look, I'm estranged from my family like a lot of people are in this country. You know, I hope that it changes sometime down the road, but for right now, it is what it is. And hey, I'm going to meet with the USGA and go over these rule things as this keeps happening and, and we have to stop it. He won't do either of those two things, which has just left it up to the masses to just absolutely pile on to him. And I just don't know how he's going to play in 2020 because of it. He's going to keep on hearing it, I believe, Ryan, until he combats it. 
Yeah, he will. I mean, Matt Kuchar dealt with something like that all year, basically, and no one let him off on that, which, I mean, by comparison, I think is probably less, I mean, in the grand scheme of things. But yep. What I, you know, depending on your view of things. But I think for Reed, he is, he is a guy that is going to have, you know, three, four, five, top ten, top five finishes a year. He'll threaten to win a tournament. And then he'll throw up a bunch of T-60s and T-45s, and that's what he is. Uh, I think he's pretty well demonstrated that over the last handful of years. The question is, will those T-5s and T-10s become T-15s and T-20s? And will those T-45s and T-60s become missed cuts? I don't know. I mean, does that bother him enough? I mean, he played pretty well in a singles match at the President's Cup, and I think part of that was kind of the fury of just getting railroaded all week by the Australian fans. But now both he and his brother-in-law have a reputation, and they're going to both hear it. So it's not like it's just Patrick Reed who's going to hear it about moving dirt and cheating. Kessler's going to hear it, and there are going to be fans at tournaments who are going to try to egg him on. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react because they seem to overreact to everything and play their hand poorly pretty much every time. And somebody will do a think piece this week, but this week's not a good indication um, because, the, let's just face it, the Century Tournament champion crowds are not big and it's a really hard tournament to cover because of the way that this golf course is laid out. Um, whatever his next start is in the lower 48, I think that'll be a better indication of how he's going to be treated in 2020 unless... Kessler gets suspended and is not his caddy this week. That's the one thing that I believe we can take away from this week with Patrick Reed is who is Patrick Reed's caddy at the Century Tournament of Champions? Well, we'll have to see, I guess. I, I don't think the tour is inclined to suspend the caddy because that creates a whole other set of issues. It really does. Caddies, which has been kind of tamped down the last couple of years. There were the issues with unionization and trying to sue and trying to set up for benefits and pay structure and that kind of all got tamped down a little bit so I don't think the tour is in a rush to necessarily punish a caddy again I I don't think it got played up too much here to the point that something needed to be done Um, we'll we'll have to see how that works out I mean Reed tried to make some big changes last year got away from Kevin Kirk a little bit and you know work with David Ledbetter and now back with Kirk and Ledbetter I don't know where he's at with that nowadays so uh, you know to make another change like that it seems like he's reluctant to do it I think because he feels comfortable with the one of a handful of people outside of his immediate family that he considers trustworthy yeah All right, final guy we're going to cover is Tiger. Jim Nance was on Baltimore Radio two weeks ago and was asked by the host, "Did you were you bummed that you didn't get to call 82? And Nance said, no, I want to call 83. Dan Hicks was talking in the past that there was this parlor game between play-by-play broadcasters for many years between networks about who would get to call number 19. 83 was not even the number on anyone's mind it was all 15 16 17 18 19 and it was 19 that there was a a joking game between broadcasters about who would get to say that number nance wants to call 83 i imagine anybody who does play by playing golf would love to be the voice behind the mic to call 83 i think 83 this year is more likely than 16 a what's your opinion of that and b where do you think it happens 
I don't, I don't know that 83 is necessarily more likely than 16. I mean, the Masters is still there. It, it's going to be there. Uh, he's the guy who knows that golf course the best, and, and that has not changed. And he can keep the ball in play. He can he can contend. Uh, Wingfoot's going to be really interesting, I think, because that's the one place where he missed the cut when he was at his most invincible. And I realize it's after his father's passing, and he was very emotional. But that could be in his mind, uh, one debt he has to collect, which I, I think could be really interesting if he commits to mm. it. TPC Harding Park, I mean, he won there uh, the last time that they had the Amex there with that uh, playoff battle with John Daly. I still remember that a little bit. I mean, yeah. it was 15 years ago now. But he still feels pretty good about that golf course. And depending on the conditions of the Open, why not? Um I mean, he obviously has tournaments that he likes outside of the the Masters being the one you know single major that stays in, in one place. Maybe it's Bay Hill, maybe it's Memorial, although I think Memorial isn't as much fun for him as it, as it maybe once was. Uh, I don't know. I, I think he can win 16 next year. I mean, if you look at him at the Zozo, he was in control and it never looked out of hand, never looked in doubt, kind of like in the old days. And if you looked at him at the President's Cup, he was by far the best player on either team. Wasn't even close. So why why can't he win another major? Why can't he win two? I mean, I, I think that's outrageous, but... Right. Why not? Yeah, it's really... To to me, it's fascinating because I I don't think Tory's going to be the place, but I know he wants to win at Riviera so bad. Um. Yeah. And especially since it's now his event, three-year exemption, elevated status, the whole nine yards. It's the one place that I think he really hasn't won at. And I know your point about Wingfoot's very valid. To me, Harding Park and Riviera have the same problem, which is weather. And these cold days that are going to be tough for him going forward, even if he doesn't have an oblique neck or knee problem to go along with it. It's just tough. Look at that one day at the President's Cup where he woke up and... As Freddie told the story last week on, uh, sorry, two weeks ago on on Sirius XM, I he just said I just can't go. And kudos to him, the captain, because in the past he would have toughed it out. Here he said, "Nope, I'm out. Sorry, can't do it. I trust my team." For me, I think this moment happens somewhere in Florida, um, and Bay Hill would be a fitting place to do it. I think the weather could be warm enough there. Um, I don't think it'll be in a major championship if he gets 83. I do think, to your point, it is Augusta and it is a warm weather open where he's going to have his best two major chances. The others are going to have to be venues in just weeks where he's on. But Wingfoot is an interesting concept because of what you brought up and because of the fact that he has the ability to dissect golf courses if he's in good shape and his game's trending in the right direction by then, it's a really fascinating subject um, to bring up come June because June in, in this area will be perfect weather. That won't be a problem. It'll be how his game is, and I think we could see some interesting form there. So Yeah, these, I mean, these, uh, they kind of got a taste, I guess, with Shinnecock a couple of years ago of a, a tough U.S. Open, but most of these young guys don't know what a real tough U.S. Open is, and if the USGA leans into what Wingfoot is thought to be and what its members want it to be and how it was 14 years ago, then I don't think a lot of these guys are going to be prepared to handle that challenge very well. Think about the last time, and I'm trying to quickly bring this up, 
Think about the last time a lot of these guys played where the winner was at five over par and you got top, I assume this is top 10 on Wikipedia, being eight over par. It's been a while for a lot of this young brigade where five over is a winner and eight over is, you know, getting you top 10 into next week. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. So it's PGA Tour. Yeah. They, they've realized birdies are good, eagles are better, and 20 under is fine. No one cares. But yeah. when the USGA tries to assert that par matters and the tough golf courses can get you and we're going to try to set it up to get you, it, it changes the complexion of things. There are 11 guys who finished at 8 over par. It was tied for T6. One, two, three, four, five of them. Five of the 11 shot rounds in the 60s that week. That's just absurd. So, it's, yeah, it'll be very interesting to hear and see. A lot of those guys were vets. Ogilvy, Furick, Phil, Monty, Harrington, O'Hearn, VJ, Stricker, Weir. A lot of those guys were vets at the time, not young guns. I don't know how old Kenneth uh, Fury or Nick O'Hearn were. But a lot of those guys were young, you know, older vets. How these young guys react will be very fascinating, and we'll be here to talk about it as we go through 2020. Ryan Bounty, thank you for coming on Teeing It Up and taking some time away from a wedding prep day to come on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.